The power and influence of the Ottoman Turks was growing steadily, and by the end of the 14th century, Islamic forces had expanded far beyond the Middle East and were swallowing up Mediterranean territories, as well as those around the western edge of the Black Sea in modern-day Bulgaria and Romania. Check out episode 22, The Crusades, for a more in-depth discussion of this expansion and the European resistance. The presence of the Ottomans turned the cold, quiet mountains of Romania, a region known as Transylvania, into a hotbed of violent military action, as Christian forces repelled the invaders year after year. One of the leaders in this ongoing struggle was a man by the name of Vlad II Dracul, who ruled over Wallachia, an area south of Transylvania. Vlad Dracul gained this interesting surname after being inducted into the Order of the Dragon. The Order of the Dragon, or Drakenorden in German, which sounds way cooler, was a chivalric order formed at the request of Hungary's king, Sigismund of Luxembourg, in 1408. Originally, 24 knights were inducted and charged with protecting the king and the royal family, sort of like the president's secret service. But the order soon grew to include political allies, supporters, and powerful monarchs, and when Sigismund eventually rose to become Holy Roman Emperor, membership in this once modest order became highly coveted, and loyalty to its founder came with a number of perks. In 1431, a young prince of Wallachia named Vlad II was brought to Nuremberg to join the ranks of the Drakenorden. Though Vlad II was technically an illegitimate son and had little chance of actually assuming the throne back home in Wallachia, Sigismund rewarded his allegiance to the order by helping him seize power in Romania following the death of Vlad's male relatives, who had legitimate claims to the throne. Vlad Dracul honored the order in Sigismund's favor by using dragon-related iconography on coins, flags, and seals. You could say it almost became part of his personality. But let's get back to those pesky Ottomans. In 1442, the Sultan Murad II invited Vlad Dracul to a meeting to discuss diplomatic relations. Dracul had been willing to maintain an uneasy relationship with the Turks, providing that they didn't barge into his territory. But when word of a possible occupation reached his ears, Dracul refused to permit it. In order to smooth things over, he packed up some belongings, gathered his sons, Vlad III and Radu, headed for Gallipoli, where Europe connects with modern-day Turkey, and probably said something like, What could possibly go wrong? As it turned out, the meeting was a ploy to capture the Transylvanian royalty and hold them hostage. The Turks eventually made a deal with Vlad Dracul, allowing him to go free while his sons remained in enemy hands. Historians disagree on the severity of punishments, if any, Vlad's sons suffered while in captivity. Some suggest they were tortured for a time. Others claim they may have been forced to watch as the Turks impaled and otherwise mutilated their countrymen or other Turkish enemies. In any case, the Vlad brothers did manage to receive a surprisingly good education during this time. We at the Sons of Antiquity podcast may characterize the Ottomans as barbaric and thuggish from time to time, but in reality their collective knowledge was quite impressive. In fact, one could argue that the Renaissance wouldn't have been the same if many ancient works hadn't been preserved in the Middle East following the fall of Rome, only to be rediscovered by the Crusaders who brought them back to Europe centuries later. Anyway, the Vlad brothers made the best of a bad situation by learning philosophy, mathematics, horseback riding, fighting, and history. This last subject could also explain how they learned of the Turks' taste for cruel and unusual punishments. Meanwhile, Vlad Dracul was killed in a skirmish with rival feudal lords and his third son died as well. Shortly after these events, Vlad III, also called Vlad Tepes or Vlad Dracula, meaning son of Dracul, a name which we'll use for the rest of the episode for the sake of convenience, and his brother Radu were freed from Ottoman captivity 
when Vlad made it his mission to reclaim his land and defend it from the barbaric invaders by any means necessary. His first task upon gaining freedom was to deal with the local rivals who had killed his father. The word boyar is a general term which refers to the feudal nobles of Eastern Europe. Like most places, the interactions between these feudal rulers played as much of a role in determining ownership of territory as invasion of outside forces did. In order to unify Wallachia against the Ottomans, Vlad Dracula had to depose its current voivode, or warlord, Vladislav II, a relative of Dracula's. It was speculated that Vladislav II may have enlisted the help of the Turks to overthrow Vlad Dracul some years earlier, which wouldn't have sat well with the young Dracula. However, what we know for sure is that Vladislav II didn't send any troops or aid to his countrymen during the Battle of Kosovo in 1448, a decisive battle which ended in Turkish victory against the Hungarian Crusaders and killed any chance of preventing the sack of Constantinople five years later. This angered a powerful regent named John Hunyadi, a veteran and POW of Kosovo and a former associate of Vladislav II, who may have also helped overthrow Vlad Dracul. So once Hunyadi escaped from the Ottomans, he returned to his homeland and seized some of Vladislav's territory, essentially ending their alliance. When Vlad Dracula entered the picture, Hunyadi took this opportunity to team up and work toward their mutual goal of overthrowing Vladislav II. On July 22, 1456, Dracula led a small army to corner his opponent. Rather than do battle, the two leaders agreed to a duel to the death, hand to hand. Our man Dracula won the fight and, legend has it, personally beheaded his rival on the spot. Legend also says that he dabbed and teabagged Vladislav's body in true gamer fashion, but this is unconfirmed. Either way, this was only the beginning of his savagery. Now that the throne was his, Vlad Dracula had to consolidate power and bring an end to the constant internal conflict between the boyars. So he did what any wise ruler would do. He took the Machiavellian approach. This led to a brutal purge and mass execution campaign directed squarely at the boyar class, in which hundreds or perhaps thousands of nobles were killed, most of them impaled on wooden stakes. According to legend, Vlad once invited more than a hundred boyars to his castle for a feast. Halfway through, he ordered every guest to be stabbed or incapacitated in some fashion before impaling each and every one of them, whether they were dead or still breathing, to be put on display around Wallachia's capital, Targoviste, where most of his victims were placed. Now for a quick note on the actual logistics of impalement. Very pleasant subject. This process was used more for torture than murder. In order to maximize the intimidation factor, seeing a human kebab dangling 10 feet above your head is bad enough. Watching it move and hearing it scream is another thing entirely. Impalement was often done vertically, up through the nethers, using a rounded wooden pole that would more easily displace internal organs without damaging them, as the stake was forced up through the body and out through a hole in the shoulders or through the mouth. Alternatively, the stake could be sharpened and driven through the lower abdomen to avoid the heart and lungs. This unfathomably awful torture could allow a victim to suffer for many hours or even days, all the while striking fear into any who might wish to challenge the man responsible for such a dreadful act. Boy, learning history sure is fun. But impalement wasn't Dracula's only skill. Oh no, he was multi-talented. Burning, boiling, beheading, and skinning were just a few of his other methods. According to legend, he may have also enjoyed a few meals while surrounded by impaled corpses, or dipped his food in the blood of his victims. Knowing how cruel he truly was, these details aren't all that hard to believe. And as if that weren't enough, 
Here's two more stories about good old Dracula that are sure to warm your heart. In 1459, Ottoman emissaries met with Dracula and his men, but did not remove their hats for religious reasons. Vlad took offense to this and had his men drive nails through their heads to keep the Ottomans' hats in place permanently. Later, in 1462, Dracula wrote this in a letter to an ally, quote, I have killed peasants, men and women, old and young, who lived at Oblikitsa and Novoselo, where the Danube flows into the sea. We killed 23,884 Turks, without counting those whom we burned in homes or the Turks whose heads were cut by our soldiers. Thus, your highness, you must know that I have broken the peace. Gotta love the precision. But the most horrific and impressive feat accomplished by Vlad Dracula III must be his forest of corpses. In 1461, Vlad killed and impaled Ottoman tax collectors who dared enter his land to demand their annual tribute. And to add insult to injury, he pushed into Ottoman territory and destroyed defensive encampments just across the border. This, of course, angered the notorious Mehmed II, the sultan whose actions during the sack of Constantinople in 1453 had earned him the title of conqueror. For more on that, listen to Episode 9, Epic Last Dance of History. So he decided to put Vlad in his proper place. Mehmed II put together an army nearly 100,000 strong and headed north, while Vlad assembled a more modest force of poorly armed peasants, a third the size of the opposition, and went scorched earth on the invaders, burning crops, poisoning wells, and destroying all resources ahead of the Ottoman forces. They also launched guerrilla-style raids and even made a failed assassination attempt on Mehmed II. However, these tactics failed to stop the army from reaching the outskirts of the capital, so Dracula hatched a new scheme. As the Ottomans reached the city, they found it deserted. The gates of the outer wall were open. No men stood on guard. It was a ghost town. As they moved inward, they discovered a sight unlike anything they had ever seen. Apparently, Vlad had been stockpiling dead Ottomans from prior campaigns and chose that moment to arrange them in true Wallachian fashion. According to The Histories, a work by historian and contemporary of Dracula's Chalka Condolese, 20,000 impaled bodies were spread out for over a mile. In his own words, There were large stakes there on which, as it was said, about 20,000 men, women, and children had been spitted. There were infants too affixed to their mothers on the stakes, and birds had made their nests in their entrails. The sultan was seized with amazement and said that it was not possible to deprive of his country a man who had done such great deeds, who had such a diabolical understanding of how to govern his realm and its people. And he said that a man who had done such things was worth much. Might want to say, a man after his own heart. The sight was so repulsive and strangely awe-inspiring that Mehmed II said, All right, I'm going to head out, and led his army south in a withdrawal. Meanwhile, the locals weren't too happy with Vlad Dracula's scorched-earth tactics, which had left the land in ruins and their livelihoods destroyed, so he was promptly ousted and replaced by his brother, Radu. Dracula was then imprisoned in Hungary for a number of years. Following his release, he managed to take back the throne for a third and final time in 1476. But after only a couple of short months, the Ottoman-backed rebels defeated Vlad Dracula, beheaded him, and shipped his noggin back to Constantinople to be placed on display. Historians estimate that about 80,000 people were killed under Vlad Dracula's rule, with a quarter of those being impaled. This may seem terrifying to modern people with modern sensibilities, but considering that the Ottomans would have done the same exact thing, and in many cases did, the level of brutality was par for the course. 
It's easy to judge the man while you sip your coffee in your air-conditioned room, listening to this podcast while the most advanced militaries in the world keep you safe from harm. But if the Ottomans showed up at your doorstep right now, swords and spears in hand, ready to shove a wooden pole up your bum, you better believe you'd be wishing for a stockpile of dead bodies to string up. Food for thought. Thanks for listening to the Sons of Antiquity Highlight Reel. To hear this clip in context and to enjoy our full-length episodes, check out the links in the description or search Sons of Antiquity on YouTube, BitChute, Spotify, or Apple and Google Podcasts.